You know your one friend who's messy as hell and lives for the drama? Well, they've got nothing on the hero from today's story. Welcome to Myths You Missed. Welcome back. So up front, I just wanted to mention that there was no episode last week because I have decided that for my own mental health, I'm going from releasing an episode every week to every other week. So don't worry, the show is not canceled. (laughs) We're going to continue just on a bit of a better schedule for me personally. Some other exciting news is that we are finally on Apple Podcasts, which is awesome. Apple Podcasts is one of the biggest podcast providers and it's where most new podcasts get found. So if you listen to this podcast and you enjoy it, I would really appreciate, even if you don't listen on Apple Podcasts, if you could go and leave a rating and a review because that would help me out so much. It's really, really helpful for new podcasts when people do that. So I would really appreciate it. That's really all of the announcements I have to share up front. So you know what? Let's get right into today's story. So today's story is called Exile of the Sons of Ishlu. It takes place after Conqueror is king and it opens with him and his crew having dinner at his storyteller's house. So probably his personal bard or poet. His storyteller, his name is Fedlamund, and his wife is super pregnant. And right at the beginning of the story, it says that all the men there were very drunk and having just like a great time. You know, it was a really fun party. A drunken uproar shook the place is how it's put in the story. But it skips over most of that drunken uproar and straight to the men all deciding it's time for bed. So the story kind of begins at bedtime, but as they're all going to bed, Fedlamin's wife, who I don't believe has a name in the story at any point, she's going to bed and her womb screams. So the child in her room screams and it's heard by everyone in the house. And everyone is really concerned, which is totally fair. Um, That's a weird thing to hear. (laughs) I feel like if I heard a pregnant woman, a scream come from a pregnant woman's stomach, I would also be concerned, super concerning. So everyone in the house wakes up from bed and looks at each other like, what's happening? They're all really weirded out. Someone says, no one move bring that woman over here so they can all check check her out. So the woman, again, no name, <laughs> just the woman, she's brought before the men and her husband asks her, woman, what was that fierce shuddering sound furious in your troubled womb? Which, wow, what a sentence. That fierce shuddering sound from your troubled womb. Ooh, poetry. <laughs> um, actually, a lot of the story is poetry. So this exchange that I'm reading right now is all written as if it was probably poetry in the original Irish, uh, like some sort of lyricism happening here. It doesn't super translate perfectly into English, but we can imagine that Conqueror's bard is speaking poetically, his wife speaking poetically back to him, all of that kind of thing. But yeah, so he asks her, what the fuck just happened to your womb? And she turns to Cathspad, who is the druid, who's Conqueror's father. He's there. So she asks him, hey, you can tell the future. What 
what's going on in my tummy? Basically, she asks him to foretell why her child has screamed, what's her child's future, because they're taking it as a pretty bad omen for the child. You know, she wants to answer her husband's questions about what was it in her stomach that made that horrible noise. And she basically says, I don't know, but maybe Kat's bad nose because he's a druid. But like, I don't know what's in my womb. I'm just a woman, which is kind of fair. So then Kath's bad's prediction of the child. He starts talking about who the child's going to be. And at first, it sounds pretty great because he's just describing a really beautiful woman. He says a woman with twisted yellow tresses, green iris eyes of great beauty, whiter than the snow. A white treasure is her teeth. She brushes them really well, I guess. Cathspad waxes poetic about how beautiful her daughter's going to be. And then he goes on to say, also, by the way, she will make men fight for her and it's going to end badly. He puts his hand on her stomach and feels the baby moving around and he says, yep, there's a girl in there. Her name will be Deirdre and she will bring evil. Straight up says she will bring evil. Not a mispronunciation. Her name is Deirdre with the U at the end. Uh, it's where we get names like Deirdre and Deirdre, but originally it was with a U. So there's your fun fact. So after Cathspad gives his prediction, essentially right after that, the baby is born. Just like with last week with Maha, these babies are just kind of unceremoniously born. They don't really want to get into the details of childbirth. After the daughter's born, Cathspad gets more into the trouble she's going to cause. He says Ulster is going to be tormented. Men will be jealous over her and that's going to drive them to do terrible things. The three sons of Ishlu will be exiled is specifically something he says. So Ishlu is a man and he has three sons who at the time are pretty young, I'm guessing, based on what happens later in the story. But he says that they're going to be exiled because of this woman. And he also says that Fergus is going to be exiled out of Ulster. So Fergus, you remember, he's been a character in all three episodes of this so far. Really important dude, ex-king of Ulster was tricked into giving up his crown to Conqueror and is going to play a central role in the story to come and will be exiled out of Ulster because of this girl. There's a lot of other things that he predicts happening. Uh, Conqueror's son will be exiled. A bunch of people's sons will be exiled or killed, basically. And there's going to be absolutely terrifying things, devastating things happening because of this girl and for this girl. He foretells a really tragic, awful future for her. And everyone's like, well, that sucks. So let's just kill her. I'm not advocating for child murder, but I understand that reaction. Yeah. So all the warriors are saying, kill the child, like get rid of her. We can't have her doing these kinds of things to our country and to like all of our friends. Right. And here's where I say that this story is kind of interesting because it's really the only story we get where Conqueror is kind of a bad dude. Like, he's not great in this story. Right now, at this point, right after this child's born, and it's foretold that she's going to cause great sorrow in his country and, like, end up with his friend Fergus exiled and his son potentially killed and all of that. He says, no, don't kill her. Give her to me. Let me raise her. And when she's grown, she's she'll be one of my wives. Yeah, uh, he, he says, the girl will be taken tomorrow. I will have her reared for me. This woman I'll keep to myself. 
And right in the margins next to this, I've just written yuck. Because <laughs> we don't love that conqueror. No. He's heard about how beautiful she is. And he's like, mm, this baby, hot. I want her. I want her for my harem or whatever the fuck. So the men of Ulster, they don't, they're not going to say to their king, no, you weirdo. So they take Deirdre uh, and they have her raised all by herself until she's old enough to be Conqueror's mistress. Now, this part of the story is really interesting to me because we see a lot of classic fairy tale elements in it. Deirdre grows up to be the loveliest woman in Ireland, and she grows up completely isolated, Rapunzel-esque, right? Like she's she's never seen a man or anyone, really. So no one has seen her for all of these years, except for her foster mother and foster father, who we're not sure, we're not told who they are, but just the people raising her. And Leboham, a tall and crooked satirist who couldn't be kept out. Basically, satirists were kind of an interesting group of people at this time because they were the only people who, like, the king would be kind of freaked out by. Because basically what they did was kind of criticize everyone, including the king. They were allowed to say, like, hey, it's kind of shitty what you're doing. Satirists would point out the wrongdoings or, like, the faults of people in, a like, kind of a jokey way. Kind of like The Onion today, you know? Like, they would talk shit about the king and, or, like, the ruling body, I guess. Unlike today's government, the king would, you know, have to take it seriously because then his people would be like, oh yeah, that satirist is right. Maybe fuck him if he was, you know, acting too poorly. So in a funny way, the satirists kind of kept the king and the ruling body in line by being like, hey, we're not afraid to point out when you do something shitty. So I find that eternally delightful. So this satirist cannot be kept out. She will not be kept out. She's going to hang out with Deirdre and be a bad influence. So one day, middle of winter, Deirdre's grown up. She and Lebraham are watching her foster father skin a calf for her to eat. And a crow flies down and starts drinking the blood out of the snow. And Deirdre turns to Lebraham and says, I could desire a man who has those three colors, hair like the raven, cheeks like blood, and his body like snow. So very much snow white, you know? I I don't know what exactly to make of that connection, but I think it's fascinating that it's there. After she says this, Lebraham says, oh, well, good luck. Uh, there's a man just across the glen over there who has those three qualities. You know, I, I know a man who looks like that. His name is Noishu. Uh, he's one of Ishlu's sons. Lebraham is just stirring the pot. And honestly, I love it. Deirdre says, well, if that's the case, then I'm going to go see him. So she just leaves. I'm not sure how, because she's been raised in isolation. She's been kept away from everyone. But apparently she could have just left at any point because she does just leave. She goes and finds Noishu by himself and he's chanting to himself and chanting is a kind of singing and apparently Ishlu's sons are just known far and wide for their beautiful chanting voices. It says, the chanting of the sons of Ishlu was very sweet. Every cow or beast that heard it gave two thirds more milk. Any person hearing it was filled with peace and music. 
they're also war heroes. They're just great all around guys. Super super great guys. So Noishu is out like in the woods outside of Emin alone and Deirdre slips out, finds him and goes as if to pass him without recognizing him. You know, she's gonna, she's not gonna let him know that she's into him. She's just gonna try and catch his attention, you know? But what he says, honestly, what he says when he sees her, if Deirdre, girl, you can do better. Um, so she walks past him and Noishu just says, that's a fine heifer going by. Like, what? Why? A heifer? Really, Noishu? My God. Her response is, as well it might, the heifers grow big where there are no bulls. As, you know, saying, hey, you know, I'm not around any men at any point and I'm fucking beautiful. I don't know. Apparently, she took it as some kind of compliment. It's a wild... Okay. I just... Everyone in this story flirts like no one I've ever seen. (laughs) The flirting in this book is insane. So that's the first words to each other. Uh, But she flirts back with him and Noishu says, "Uh Uh-uh, you have the king of the province... Well, you have the bull of this province, he says, all to yourself. So he knows who she is. He knows that she's promised for Conqueror. And he knows that she's going to result in his exile. She responds to him saying that she has the, the bull of the province for herself, saying, of the two of you, I'd pick a game young bull like you. Uh, <laughs> and he responds saying, no, no, you know Cathspad's prophecy, like I've been told it, you know it, we both know that this is going to end badly. So, like, he knows, he knows who she is. I don't... <sighs> she asks him, are you rejecting me? Uh, and he says yes. So, it's a great, it's great. I love, I love this interaction so much, because they're just like hitting on each other, and he's like, okay, I'll hit on you, but I'm not going to go anywhere with you, because I know who you are, and I know it's only trouble. And she's like, you're rejecting me? And he's like, yeah, duh, I don't want to be exiled. (laughs) And then what she does, okay, this is the second time in like two minutes I'm putting down my book, because what she does, I don't understand. This has got to be some sort of cultural thing that... I don't understand anymore. That's not kind of something that we as people of the 21st century understand. So it's one of those things where you just kind of have to take it as it is. What she does is she runs at him and grabs him by the ears, grabs his two ears and says to him, two ears of shame and mockery if you don't take me with you. I... (laughs) I don't understand it. She grabs him by the ears and is like, I will shame you if you don't take me with you. And then he just goes along with it. Like he he tells her at first, he tries, he says, leave me alone. And she says, you will do it. And apparently that binds him to her. I don't know if we're supposed to assume there's some kind of magic involved, but I wouldn't think so because usually they would say if there was some sort of magic involved. I think it's just she's messing around with his honor, right? Like she's threatening to shame him publicly, I guess, 
But I mean, she doesn't say publicly. So I don't know. Maybe he assumes that and he can't have that. So, you know, she says, nope, uh, I will shame you if you don't take me with you. And he just screams and his brothers apparently hear him and go and find him because they recognize their brother's voice, I guess. So they go and find him and they ask him what's wrong. And he tells them what happened. And they they say that evil will come of this. Like they know that this is a bad idea. They know that it's not going to end well. But even so, you won't be shamed as long as we live, is their response. So they would rather go into exile for all of these reasons when they know, they know it's a bad idea and it's going to end in evil. But they would rather it end in evil than their brother be shamed. So there's something about honor in this story that I don't understand. But that's just, you know, my 21st century brain not being able to comprehend this culture where honor is apparently really, really important. So anyway, that's how that happens. And the three of them take Deirdre and they leave with three times 50 warriors. So 150 warriors and 150 women and, you know, just a bunch of people like they take their retinue, I guess. They're pretty famous in Ulster. So they have a lot of people. They take all of that and they leave to go find somewhere else because, of course, they've stolen Conqueror's woman, you know? He's not going to be okay with this. So they leave. They start traveling around Ireland trying to find someone who's going to give them sanctuary. It's kind of funny because this traveling portion is kind of skimmed over, but it is mentioned that they always find someone to be under the protection of and Conqueror keeps trying to, like, send his men after them to go and like destroy them for stealing his woman. They try all over Ireland and they eventually they cross the sea to Alba, which is Scotland. So they go to Scotland and it says they settled in the waste places, which I guess is just, you know, where no people kind of live and they're hunting mountain game, but eventually they run out. So they turn to stealing cattle. And eventually the people of Scotland where they are are like, well, let's go kill these cattle thieves because yeah, I don't know how they're getting away with it. There's over 150 of, no, with the men and the women, there's over 300 of them plus dogs and servants like that's a huge group of people stealing cattle i don't know how they ever thought they were going to get away with it but the people that they're stealing from break get together a mob and go to try to find these people that are stealing from them and to kind of avoid this the sons of Ishlu and Deirdre and all of them go to the king of Scotland and basically offer their services. Like they say, hey, well, Deirdre, it's actually important to note, Deirdre isn't in this group when they go to the king of Scotland. Uh, but they're like, hey, this is who we are. We will fight for you. Like we're renowned warriors where we come from and we will fight for you. And the king of Scotland is like, oh, yeah, sure. OK, so they are now the hired soldiers of the king of Scotland and they build all these houses and the house for Noishu and Deirdre is built so that no one could look in and see Deirdre because she's just too beautiful. So there's this kind of like side plot in this story where the King of Scotland sends his men out to kind of go spy on them. Like he doesn't really know who they are. So he wants to have someone go out and check to see who they are. 
And his man comes back and he's like, listen, I mean, they seem fine, but one of them's got a gorgeous woman with him. Like, you should really marry her. She's beautiful and she, you know, she's good for you because you're the king. So you should have the most beautiful woman. So the king of Scotland is like, you know what? You're right. But he can't straight up kill Noishu. He'd have to, he has to do it like sneakily, right? So he sends Noishu out into all these like really dangerous situations that aren't really gone over. It's just sort of glossed over in the story. They're like, yeah, the king sent Noishu over and over again to like dangerous situations to try and get him killed. But Noishu's too good of a fighter. So he always came back. And that's just kind of it. And eventually the king is fed up and he's like, you know what? No, he tells his men, just go and fucking kill Noishu. I'm sick of this guy. Just go end him for me, right? (laughs) So somehow... Deirdre catches wind of this and tells Noishu, hey, we got to bounce because the King of Scotland wants to kill you to get to me. So they're all, they all leave. And news of this reaches all the way back to Conqueror. So Conqueror hears about the fact that they were in Scotland and the King of Scotland tried to kill Noishu and his brothers so that he could have Deirdre. And everyone's like, Conqueror, dude, it's been, it's been years at this point. They're like, just send some people, like, accept them back. You don't have to like them, but, you know, they're your people. Like, you don't have to hang out with them, but at least, like, let them come back to Ulster. And Conqueror is like, okay, fine. They can come back. They're Essentially, they're like, don't let people from Ulster get killed in Scotland, because that would be a great shame. Apparently, Ireland and Scotland have had it, have had a tense relationship forever. <laughs> so, yeah, Conqueror says, okay fine, let them come home. He sends a messenger out to them and they send a message back basically saying, okay, yeah, we'll come back as long as you send Fergus and your son and another dude to like escort us back to make sure that you don't attack us on the way. Because I guess he can't really attack them once they're in Ulster, but if they're not in Ulster yet, they're kind of fair game. So they want to have some sort of like security, I guess. I don't know. I'm not... It's the whole, it's this honor thing that I'm still not, I just don't really get it. (laughs) But they say, you know, as long as Fergus and your son and this other guy are with us, that will be your pledge of safety and we will trust you and we'll come back to Ulster. And so Conqueror says, okay, fine. But he has like a secret other plan. So basically Fergus had taken an oath once upon a time to never turn down an invitation for a feast. I don't know why. I guess this is the kind of oath you take when you're a king. Conqueror knows about this oath that he's taken. So he gets a bunch of people on their road, like they're traveling to Ulster, and Conqueror gets a bunch of people to invite Fergus for dinner, and Fergus can't turn them down. Fergus has sworn an oath to always accept an invitation to dinner, but the sons of Ishlu have sworn an oath that they won't eat anything until they get to Ulster. So they keep going while Fergus stays behind to eat. Eventually, Fergus isn't with them, so they don't have that vow of security anymore, right? Like Fergus being with them was a symbol that Conqueror wouldn't attack them. But now Fergus is gone eating and drinking, 
and they're keep going to keep going because they're presumably starving. I don't know how long it takes. Like, I don't know. Maybe this was just over the course of a day or something, but they can't stop. So now they're without Fergus. So we're there without that protection. So Conqueror attacks them. It's so convoluted, honestly. So this huge battle starts because Conqueror sends out a bunch of people to go and kill the sons of Ishlu for taking his woman because he's still salty about it. And this battle, a lot happens. People are killed. It's like a legendary kind of battle. It's not good. Basically, everyone dies. Conqueror's men win. Noishu is killed by a man called Iogan. Actually, it's great. It says, Iogan welcomed Noishu with the hard thrust of a great spear that broke his back. So Noishu's dead. Deirdre is taken back to Conqueror. And honestly, this is where the story goes from being a wild romp of a woman gone wild <laughs> to just sad. Fergus, because he was, has been so shamed by Conqueror, right? Like, Fergus's son was killed in the battle and all of this stuff. Like, Fergus is really mad at Conqueror for all of this shit he pulled. So he goes and lives in Connacht, which is another province of Ireland, and we will get to that later. Uh, Connacht is run by King Alil and Queen Maeve, and they're great. We'll get to that. Basically, when the time starts, Fergus is in Connacht. So this story is kind of important to know why exactly there's bad blood between Conqueror and Fergus. So Fergus is exiled along with 3,000 other Ulstermen who were involved in this battle. So they have all moved to Connacht and are living under the protection of Alil and Maeve. And they're there for 16 years. So that's important for when the time starts. But first we have to get to the end of this story, which it's sad. Deirdre really deserved better. She didn't deserve this. So Deirdre is kept a year by Conqueror and she's just not happy. She never smiles once in that year. She doesn't eat enough. She doesn't sleep enough. She basically just like sits there crying, head in her lap, just utterly devastated. And Conqueror tries to, I guess, cheer her up by sending her musicians and things. She basically has this whole time just been composing this long, sad poem that I'm not going to read all of um, because it's pretty long, but it's basically about how she's heartbroken. You know, she loved Noishu no matter how she like kind of tricked him into being with her. She loved him and now he's dead. And it's just about how amazing he was basically and how sad she is now that she he's dead and she's being held captive by Conqueror, who's this man that she hates because of everything he's done to her, which again, totally fair. So every time someone tries to like talk to her, that's how she responds. Every so often, Conqueror himself will go into her and try to get her to talk to him. And she recites a different poem about how shitty Conqueror is and how much she hates him. A highlight of this poem is the stanza about Fergus, in which she says, Fergus did us an injury, bringing us over the great sea, how his deeds of valor shrank when he sold honor for a drink, which just seems like quintessential Fergus, to be fair. He's kind of an ass. 
so a year goes by where she's just does nothing but recite sad poetry and just it's it's sad it's sad I hate the ending of like for as much as I think the beginning of the story is really interesting and fun the end of the story is straight up depressing basically at the end of this year Conqueror's like oh my god okay fine you know you hate me is there anyone you hate more and she says that the only person she hates more than Conqueror is Eogen so the guy who actually killed Noishu and Conqueror, because he's an ass in this story, says, okay, so I'm going to go send you to live with Eogan for uh, a year, and then you'll come back to me, and I guess I guess his thinking is, like, you're going to go live with Eogan, and then by the time you get back to me, I won't seem that bad or something? Or maybe he's just trying to punish her for kind of being a sad sack. Like, whatever the reasoning, it's shitty. The next day, she's sent over to Eogan's house, and he takes her to the fair of Maha, and they don't really explain what that is, but I'm kind of imagining it as like an annual or like semi-annual recreation of the celebration that the king in Maha's story held. I'm kind of imagining it like they recreate that every year because, you know, it's a, a great story, a great legend of their people and they've renamed it after Maha or whatever. I don't know. Uh, that's just kind of how I kind of interpret it, I guess, but I I could be totally wrong. So they're going to the fair and Deirdre is in the carriage behind Eogan and she's not having a good time. So it says that she had sworn that two men in particular would never have her and those men were Conqueror and Eogan. And now she's kind of being fucked over by both. So as they're going through the fields, like headed to the fair, in one last act of defiance, Deirdre throws herself off the chariot and hits her head on a rock and dies. Yeah. (laughs) Like I said, it's a fucking bummer of a story like what a bummer to end on and I am so sorry that that's how it ends I wish you know it could be something fun but you know sometimes shitty stuff does happen (laughs) yeah she won't be owned by these men who fucked her over so hard so she kills herself and it's kind of her one way of escaping being in that shitty of a position so on one hand it's It's kind of an act of defiance, straight up, you know? That's how the story of Deirdre ends, the exile of the Sons of Ishlu. Yeah, a lot of key players, their positions were set up in this story. Sadly, Deirdre isn't ever relevant again, but I still enjoy her story for what it is. You know, it has a really upsetting ending, but I think there's still a lot to say for it. I mean... Deirdre, her archetype is the fated woman of destruction. Like when you study myths and legends, that's like her title. I like that she didn't let that define her. Like she was like, okay, fine. Um, I'm going to cause tragedy or whatever. I'm still going to get the man I want. And I'm still going to like live my life at least for a little bit while I can. I like that like poetry has a really key part in this story like she's the son of a poet she's kind of partially raised by a satirist and then at the end you know she's writing not exactly satirical but criticizing poems about the king and you know I just I love her as a character I think she's a great character and I think that there's a lot of really interesting things in the story but anyway that's 
kind of it for this week. Come back in two weeks. We are going to be reading some exceptional stories. I'm very excited because next time I get to introduce the main character of the Tyne and Oh boy, this motherfucker. He is really part of the reason (laughs) that I fell in love with this story. His character is insane. Absolutely buck wild. The stuff that he does, the stuff that happens in this story from here on out just keeps getting wilder. So yeah, absolutely come back for that. You won't regret it, I promise. Thanks for listening this week. Uh, Again, if you enjoyed it, leave a review, leave a rating. I would really appreciate that. It would really, really help this podcast get to more listeners. Thanks guys so much for listening. I hope you come back in two weeks. And until next time, listen, kids, even if someone grabs you by the ears and threaten you with shame, peer pressure is still not a good reason to do things. (laughs) See you next time. Bye. Thanks for listening to Myths You Missed. Our theme music is Up Folk by Ketza. If you enjoyed this episode, rate and review us. That would be really helpful. You can follow us on Twitter at MUMCast or email us at mythsyoumissed at gmail.com. See you next time!